Welcome everybody to our special season preview episode of this year's Bombercast. I am one of your hosts, Sponsor34, and as always, I'm joined by the Grizz, and it's a big show today, Grizz, isn't it? Yes, yeah, we're, not often we get a special guest, but tonight we're joined by uh, Rowan Conley, which is fantastic. Rowan, you are the main reason it's a, uh, it's a big show for us, mate, because you're probably <laughs> the, the best guest we've had so far, and there'll be, there'll be quite a few listeners who have been on this show who are probably, probably hurling abuse at me now for saying that, but how does that make you feel, mate? Like you shouldn't talk yourselves down so much. If I'm the best guest you've had, you're struggling. But um, no, nah, look, it's, <laughs> I'm always happy to talk footy. Always happy to uh, give my two bobs worth on whatever. So uh, no, pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm sure you guys will make a lot more sense than I will. Well, I think what we'll do, lads, is I think is we'll just dive straight into what we're expecting from from the upcoming season for the Bombers. Now, Chris, you and I have talked previously, and, and we've both been fairly, I suppose, pessimistic in our view compared to others. Where we think, oh, I mean, I certainly think we got a, a fairly easy draw last year. We got a nice, nice run with the draw last year, and the fixture hasn't done us any favours this year. Oh, I think it's definitely going to be a, a lot tougher. And, and while I suppose the uh, the goal of the club is probably to end that that streak of not being able to win a final, which has been going on for more years and more days than I care to admit. I, I must admit, early days now in 2022, I probably, I probably don't, I see that streak going on another at least another year. Yeah, I think last year was a great sort of bit of lightning in the bottle. A lot of things went our way sort of consecutively. But I think I think well the first team since two thousand ten, which was Carlton, to make the finals with eleven wins. We did so with seven of them coming against teams that finished in the bottom five. We boosted our percentages pretty well against those teams. There are a whole bunch of teams below us that really did themselves no favours that look like they're going to be better this year. I mean, Richmond looked like they've been fired out of a cannon over pre-season. Fremantle did one of the biggest sort of hatchet jobs I've ever seen in the last four weeks of last year to cost themselves a spot. You know, Carlton have loaded up the midfield. West Coast and St. Kilda will probably see themselves as talented as we are. So I just look at the last year and it was fantastic because you'd rather be, you know, making the finals than not. But I'm not sure it's repeatable one because of the draw we have but two we've lost so much experience in the last few years i i did some quick math before it's about 1100 games in the last two years of experience gone out the window so it's hard to replace that and still make a finals run but i think this year will have its, its own benefits a lot of excitement but i, I don't see us as a finals chance i'm not sure you guys need me on this do you? i mean i could just come on now and say ditto really um because <laughs> i think I think you've summed it up pretty well. I mean, for me, the key thing really is the draw. And look, you, you know, you can overstate sort of the impact of a fixture, but I don't think you can overstate it if you're one of those teams around the middle of the ladder. And I was having a look at it earlier today, and I think that group of teams from about fifth down to about 13th or 14th is as close as I can remember. There's actually a bit of a gap, I think, between the top half of the eight and the bottom half of the eight. And that bottom half of the eight and that group of, you know, five or six teams immediately outside the eight, if you're talking in scoreboard terms, you know, you might be looking at a gap of one or two goals. So the fixture becomes crucial. And and the fact is, Essendon did have a, a softish draw last year. And, and the fact is that the sides they play twice this year are... Sydney, Brisbane, Collingwood, Richmond and Port. So you've got three finalists from last year, a side which in normal circumstances was a shoo-in for a finals berth in Richmond, and Collingwood, who, look, to be honest, and I've upset a few Collingwood people today, I've tipped them to actually <laughs> come last. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it, it's possible not to be a, an, an awful side and finish last now. That's just the way of the world. So, you know, they've got it a lot tougher in terms of the draw 
And I think, you know, logistically and structurally, I think the big battle for the Dons this year might be up forward because you've got no Kyle Hooker. You've got, I think it's fair to say, there are question marks over Tipper and, and sort of how he comes back from, you know, mental health challenges and injury. Harry Jones injured to start the season. You know, they seem to be investing a lot of hope in Kane Baldwin, you know, who hasn't played. So I know Essendon did pretty well on the scoring front last year, but there's just some ifs and buts about it. And it, it makes the performance, I think, of Jake Stringer up forward this season absolutely crucial. So it's just a few too many ifs and buts about them for mine. And I, I've got to say, I'm I'm quite staggered that Mick Malthouse has tipped them to win the flag. I think he's taken the piss, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> I reckon I, it's a Moz job. He's just done it to put us off. But, like, Lee Matthews had this great saying that you've got to improve 10% just to stay where you were the previous season. And I'm not entirely sure that we're going to improve more than, you know, Richmond, Carlton, St. Kilda, Fremantle from last year. I think they've just got way more upside. Whereas, like I said, we've got way more questions than we do guaranteed upside. I agree. I mean, one of the great sort of unsung triumphs of last year, I think, was Ben Rutten's coaching. The fact that he got pretty much career-best seasons out of a group of, you know, five or six players. I mean, that is what coaching is all about. Now, if there are another half a dozen of that ilk who can improve, you know, at that level, maybe. But it's it's a pretty big ask, isn't it? Yeah, I think the, I think the other thing to keep in mind, though, and we have talked about the draw and, you know, it is going to be harder this year, Essendon did lose a number of close games last year. I mean, they went down to Hawthorne by a point, Sydney by three points, GWS by two points. I think Carlton was about 15 or 16 points. There were a number of games that Essendon did lose by, you know, three or four kicks or less. So we look at the 11 wins last year and go, well, if they just managed to... I mean, they should never have lost to Hawthorne in round one. The halftime lead to them lose that game was, was unacceptable. Um, and, and there were probably a few people who thought that the Rutten era had, had ended before it began after after how they threw that one away. So if you take a couple of those games and switch the ledger to Essendon's favour, the 11-win season does become, you know, 13, 14. So they, they can be competitive, but I think you're right, Rowan. I think last year we, we had that group of players that, that had their career best season. And I don't think they're going to drop off this year. I think the problem is we need another group of players, as you said, to have that career best season. And I'm not sure that the likes of, you know, Kane Baldwin, Aaron Francis up forward, yeah, those sort of guys, they're not, I don't think they're there there. I mean, I'm pretty bullish on Francis. I think he's he's finally had a preseason where he's set in one position. They're not looking to swing him down back or forward because we have asked him to play the swing job. And I think he looks better as a player when he's settled. But is he enough to replace 40 goals from, from Kyle Hooker? It's hard to see, and 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 we're not just replacing Kale Hooker and, and and Tipper now. Where you know Harry Jones kicked his twenty goals, but he was also a pretty handy target last year and provided good foil for Hooker and Wright. So Baldwin and Francis are going to have to really do that for Peter Wright. I mean. Peter Wright was not recruited. I don't think he was recruited to Essendon to be the number one forward. I think he was recruited to be the second ruck, um, you know, the third forward type player. And and now we're asking him to play a role that he's not. I don't. Know, I don't think he's really that suited to. Apart from the Bulldogs, where he kicked those those eight goals last year, he he's not for me a forward you can build a side around. It's amazing how often you see guys fall into that. Oh, it's almost like a Bermuda Triangle of when they they sort of get swallowed up by this thing about becoming a ruckman who goes forward and kicks goals, and and it often ends up meaning they they don't give their best in either spot. You know, we saw it. Uh, I mean, Paul Salmon, as good as he was, you know, <laughs> like uh, it, it, you know, there's an argument that probably made him less effective as an Essendon player than he could have been had he settled in one of those. 
exactly. roles. And um, I really hope that doesn't happen to Wright because, it, you know, it was pretty encouraging the sort of season he had. But, I mean, I'm just looking at the goal kickers now. You know, Stringer led the goal kicking with 41. You have Tipper with 34, Hooker with 33, Wright 29, Jones 20. So, yeah. you know, Jones injured already. Hooker's out of the mix. Stringer... You know, can they get 40 goals out of him again? You know, he might be spending more time midfield. Um, there's just a lot of ifs and buts. And, in fact, I'd look at that mix and think, geez, how did, how did Essendon finish up the fourth <laughs> highest scoring side of the year? Exactly. It's quite, yeah. quite it, we, were just, we were just so efficient from clearance. When you look at how we scored last year, so much of it was scoring from clearance or scoring basically like a shotgun out of our forward, out of our back half in transition. However, scoring so much from transition meant we were dead last in defending transition. I think I, I quoted this stat, uh, I think it was in the first so week we did the podcast this year, um, there's this stat called D50 to inside 50. So how often you let a team rebound it outside of your forward 50 into their own forward 50. We allowed teams to do that 25% of the time they got a rebound 50, which was dead last in the competition. Worse than North, worse than Gold Coast, worse than Hawthorne, worse than Collingwood. We just did not defend transition. And when you think about Truck being a defensive sort of minded coach, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But the way we were just forcing ourselves, because we didn't have great options up forward, we were just kamikaze the ball up forward off half back, and we were so efficient from clearance that we were able to score, but we weren't getting those repeat inside at 50 entries. And without those so that sort of set forward line, oh, I just saw Twitter, Baldwin's debuting this week, which is great, um, but you look at it and go, okay, well, how are you going to find your goals? You know, you, you need about 13 goals a game to win. You probably need eight goals a game from your forward and then five goals from elsewhere. I don't know where we're going to find eight goals consistently um, against really good teams. And, and that will come to roost, I think, in the first three weeks. So there's Geelong, Brisbane, Melbourne. We'll figure out pretty quickly you know, our challenges in the forward line. But it's going to be hard before everyone gets back. And for me, this year is not about wins and losses. I, I've sort of not written that off in my mind. You, you can never write anything off. But for me, this year is about sort of a fact-finding mission. What do we have with so many guys on our list that we just don't know a lot about? You know, is... We we're talking about Wright being a ruck forward or a forward ruck. Well, okay, what do we have in Jones? Is he a number one key forward in the good team, or is he, you know, a number a really good number two? You know, is Cox a wing or a key position player? You know, is Perkins a midfielder or a creative half forward? Can Brian and Draper play together? What do we have in Nick Bryan? Like he's a one game ruckman. We've got all these key position guys and Reed and Air and Brand McBride and, and Baldwin that had no exposure because of COVID last year is having no VFL or TAC football. You know, you think of the good teams, you you know what you're getting from player number one to thirty in your squad. There might be some variance in terms of improvement in players, but you know what you're going to get basically one through 30. I would say that extends to maybe one through 15 on our list. And it's just question marks everywhere. And, you know, it's still a long-term fullback, the human enigma that is Aaron Francis. Like, what, do you, what is he going to be long-term? There's so many question marks. And so for me, this year is about consolidating that information, finding out what we have before we then go to the structural component of, okay, how do we fit it all together? Because I don't think Rutten sort of knows what he has with a lot of players on our list. No, no, I think that's, you know, you make some really good points there. I've got to say the prospect of relying on Francis for a, a sizable amount of goals really worries me because he's just, look, I was a fan, but he's now, for me, in that sort of category of 
he's just got a look at a blade of grass and he gets injured. You know, I mean, he's just one. Just <laughs> I'm one still of a big guys. believer, Rowan. I'm still a big believer in Aaron oh. Francis, and I'm, and I'm, but I'm just waiting for him to come good so I can tell everyone that I was a believer. <laughs> Look, I, I, it was, I think, only uh, probably, oh, probably four years ago. I think I even nominated him as a, a potential one of the biggest improvers in the league, but. I just reckon there comes a time when, uh, after so many years of it, you know, you sort of you go, you got to sort of you you, you, <laughs> you make your bed, you lie in it, and I just see him. I mean, I'd love to be wrong. Wouldn't be the first thing I've been wrong about, but <laughs> he just has that perpetually injured "what if" sort of feel about him. And look, what you're saying as well, you know, whilst it is a potential problem, it also can be of benefit. And that is, I think there's, you know, I'm just, again, looking down sort of two thirds of this list. There's enormous um, options in, in so far as positions go. And, you know, mm. we're talking about the goal kicking there. I think there are quite a number of potential midfielders who could also be potential handy goal kickers. And, I know that's a role that a lot of midfielders sort of play now, but some play better than others. And I think when you and look, three names sort of stand out to me here: Perkins, um, who I think you know you're going to see more of him in midfield, but obviously very handy around the goals. Devin Smith, particularly handy around the goals. Braden Ham's another one. Well, Kyle Langford, you know. Yeah. So I, I think Essendon is a forward. <laughs> yeah, forward slash mid maybe. But, you know, look, I, I mean, my point is that there's a lot of players here who can be thrown around. So, yeah, look, it could take them a couple of years to shake down exactly what the best structure looks like. Yeah, I think you raise a good point in that we do have a lot of players that can play multiple positions. And if we just move away from the forward line for a moment, if you look to the, the back line and the midfield for Essendon, there is starting to emerge a real depth that they probably haven't had for a very long time. And when I say depth, I mean AFL quality because we've we've always had players that the fans have hoped would come on and fill roles and maybe haven't really been able to. But, but if you look at the back line, for example, I mean, we've got Stuart and Laverde and, and whether or not they can continue and improve what they did last year. You know, we'll wait and see. But then we've also, we've still, we've still got Ridley who plays down there. Jake Kelly's come across from Adelaide and he's definitely a great option down there. You know, we've got, we've got Hind who, who provides that run and dash. Redmond can play down there. And then, then yeah, we, we do have the youngsters as well, who you did mention before, Grizz. Who, who, okay, they haven't they haven't played a great deal, but I mean, Reed got thrown into the deep end last year, but that's another option we've got down there. Dyson Heppel now plays off a half back line. I mean, Andy McGrath can still rotate his back pocket. Whether or not he's wasted down there is, is a debate that I think many Essendon fans will have until the blue in the face. But you know, and then again, you look at look at the midfield and you go, well, Shield, Caldwell, Parish, Merritt. And McGrath, even though I did mention him as a back there, there is this little bit of depth starting to appear. And and I think there's now, there's plays you can throw into these roles in the back line and, and the midfield. And you can be confident that you're going to get at, at least an AFL level performance, which is you know, something that Essen has, has not been able to say confidently for the last probably 10 years or so. I mean, really, our midfield for a very long part of the, the early 2010s was basically built around the fact that, you know, Job would get it and then hopefully Stanton would be on the outside and run, run, run and, and hit a kick. I think it's the, I mean, just quickly, I, I think it's the deepest midfield group they've had since mid-1980s, even 2000. I mean, you know, as incredible as that side was, and, you know, it was a different game then too, but... God, there's, you know, there's so many quality players to go through that midfield. It's taken them forever to get a really good midfield group together. 
but they've finally done it. You know, who would have thought I eh? could have done that in about 2005 <laughs> and saved a lot of angst, but uh, you know, that's, that's finally, that's finally come together. Stop recruiting, uh, stop recruiting flankers and trying to turn them into midfielders and actually get midfielders in like, you know, Jai Caldwell, Darcy Parrish, even, even Hobbs um, early in a couple of practice games showed that he belongs in the midfield. It's, it's amazing what that, what that can do for you, isn't it? Although they yeah. got Parry, they got Parrish in <laughs> they and then proceeded not to play in the midfield for five years. <laughs> Uh, it's interesting with our midfield because I, I would agree it's super deep. Like when you run through the names, it's probably six or seven deep by the time you go, okay, these guys will actually play midfield. And that's before you get to guys who could potentially play midfield. My only sort of concern is that it, a lot of it is sameness in terms of size. I, I don't buy the, oh, they're all this, you know, they're all small midfielders because they all do different things. Shields, you know, this powerful stoppage player, Andy's, Andy McGrath's a really disciplined defensive midfielder. Caldwell's a bit bigger and plays as that distributor. Parrish and Merida more your accumulators that can also win clearances as well. My question will be, okay, so we're, we're dominant scoring from clearance and winning this sort of set of bounce clearance against the bigger midfields like your Geelong, Brisbane, Melbourne. All right, what do we do to circumvent that? Uh, if they just decide to make it, it turn into a slugfest. And that's where you see guys like Langford and Stringer get thrown in there. Um, to sort of supplement that with size. And you th- I think about our midfield with David Myers, and David Myers used to get absolutely killed by some supporters because of his speed and lack of ball winning. But there's a reason he constantly played there because it was that big body that carves space out for the other midfielders to get in there and win the ball. And it'll be interesting to see if we have one of those guys there or you know, against the bigger teams. So we just do a Richmond and decide, okay, we'll give you the clearance. We might even give you an extra player at the clearance, but we're going to win the ball back at halfback with the extra defender and we're going to ram it down your throat going back the other way, which is what Richmond did for three, four, three of the four, like for three premierships in four years. Well, yeah, but and, I, and the, the other thing about Richmond is is not just their pressure, but the pace. Uh, I yeah, mean, the, the, best mid, the best midfields now have a balance. And, and, you know, people go on about Melbourne's strongly built midfielders, but, geez, they've got some bloody good dash too, you know. Um, yeah, that's like it. Clayton Oliver became a much better player when he developed more of an outside game. You know, my one reservation, getting back to your initial point about the samishness, I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more explosiveness in that midfield group. And I look at Richmond, and they're okay. They they don't win those sort of, you know, traditional KPIs of a midfield. But what they do brilliantly is both pressure and run with the footy. And Shea Bolton's a perfect example. I think Essendon probably lacks a Shea Bolton, to be honest. Yeah, so that they they what Richmond generally do is they give you a number at the clearance and say, okay, win it, but we're going to harass you and make you, you know, punt it off a step or press you with a handball. And when we win it back at half back with our extra defender, we're going to just fly down the other end. And no one in that Richmond team lacks speed, and that's probably you know we, we lack explosiveness out of perhaps what you said in Shy Bolton, but we don't lack. You know, there wouldn't be a, a really slow midfielder in our mix. They'd all be at least somewhat average in terms of speed. So that's probably something we'll we'll lean on as the year goes on. One of the main things we did last year was Jake Stringer won a lot of the clearances for us. So he he, yeah. You know, I don't want to use this, the term explosive because he's not he's not a Shane Bolton explosive, but he you know he did ex- sort of explode out of the contest. And clubs are going to be ready for that this year. So if, if he goes into the midfield and he's ready to go, they're, they're going to be more prepared, I suppose, than what they were last year because we hadn't really seen him do that role at Essendon. And I think last year there was a lot of belief that he was just going to play forward. So when he went into the midfielders, I think we discussed it was it was a surprise and and I mean, a bias aside, we thought he was one of the, the better players in the AFL last year. But the clubs are going to have put a lot more work into that. Sort 
sort of set up this year. And I think if we rely on Jake Stringer to drag the ball out of the midfield and slam it forward like he did a few times last year in the clearances, I think we're going to find ourselves lacking. And I, I agree with you, Rowan. I don't see an explosive option in the mould of Shea Bolton across our midfield that's able to get the ball from a clearance, run it forward, you know, 15 metres at lightning quick pace and, and get it deep before teams know what's actually hit them. Well, no, but I mean, you can always you can always develop that, can't you? I guess you know. I mean, one I look at and think, well, maybe is is a Nick Hind. I mean, he's been terrific in that role coming off half back. St Kilda actually used him as a, a smaller forward, but who's to say? You know, if he picked up some you know sort of clearance winning skills, he'd be a fantastic burst, you know, explosive sort of midfielder. You know, I've always thought, sort of lamented a bit that Tipper doesn't quite have the body shape or the tank to to do that role because, um, you know, you'd love to see him do that. But, uh, yeah, look, it, it's about, you know, it's about balance. It's about depth. I mean, this is footy now, isn't it? The good sides, it, it's even, I find, as an observer, you know, it's sort of harder to define teams now as, well, you know, they're a running team or they're a, they're a strength team or, or whatever because you have to be good at, a whole lot of facets of the game now and um, there's no different to that and you know there's probably still a couple of little weaknesses there that need to be improved just I just thought of this too I should have mentioned it before early but you know another guide to sort of what Essendon can expect this year don't forget that some of the defeats were against quality sides and they were fairly hefty defeats weren't they I mean a couple early to Port and Brisbane, but yeah, but but even Wallop um, by Geelong at Cadinia Park, didn't we? Yeah, I think exactly. that was fifty odd points. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then and then even the final, to be honest. I mean, you know, they're encouraging early, but they did end up losing it by fifty odd, didn't they? So yeah. you know, there's still a bit of ground to make up. Yeah. I think the good teams will always pick up on what you do well. And and you know, Chris Scott, I think, for example, is the best in the competition at coaching to take away your biggest strength. And you've got to have multiple bow strengths here, Bo. And I think we just need to keep developing that. I think this year is about amalgamation and analysis of the talent we have on our list. But then long, we've still got two or three years of um, talent acquisition and development to go before I think we're any meaningful chance at, say, a premiership in 2024, 25. Just while I think of it, I, I should ask you guys, I mean, that whole thing about however many days since Essendon won a final, like... I've got to say, I could not give a flying no. you-know-what because, no. I mean, you know, we've got a final series that comprises almost half the competition. It's actually possible to play finals without being a very good side. So what does actually winning a final mean? It's pretty bloody meaningless, I reckon. Yeah, and I think... I think... I, I always get a laugh also when Carlton fans raise it because I look at Carlton and go, okay, you guys won a final when, you know, Eston got taken out due to the, the saga back in 2013, I believe it was. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, okay, they did win the final, but they actually haven't finished top eight since about 2011. So I'd look at that as, <laughs> as, as I'd look at that as more concerning and go, well, you know, as you said, half the half the competition can play finals basically, and for, for over a decade, the, the Blues haven't been able to get in there. So I, I think there's a lot more worse records out there than the fact that you know Essendon hasn't won a final in how many ever days. And I'll be honest, it, if somebody brings it up, you usually it's usually just to try and get a rise. And yeah, I must admit, I, I think I think especially on a, on a forum like Big Forty, it's definitely definitely not the uh, the worst sledge somebody can come up with. I think there's a lot more things we can get more fired up about. It's taken me a long time in my life, but I think now at the age of 57, I I am 
finally at that stage where if I say express an opinion about a football team and someone who supports that team gets really upset about it, I do say to myself, I'll grow up, you know, seriously. <laughs> what was it that what was it the truck said last year when someone mentioned that um, record just before the final start? He's like, yeah, but we got 16 premierships. And so it's like, that's the perfect response. Cause that's at the end of the day, no one looks at how, you know, how many years you've been since you won a final, you know, if the St Kilda supporter says to me, like, how many days since you won a final, you go, oh, how many years since you guys won a flag or, you know, how many wooden spoons have you guys won Carlton since we've won a final? I think, what are we at four now? Like, yeah, or f- probably five. I think when you think about it, I think, yeah, talent, uh, premiership is what matters. And I think we're a while off winning a premiership, but I think we're probably closer than I thought, you know, 12 months ago leading into last year, which is probably more important. I still think, like I said, we're two or three years of acquiring and developing talent away. But this year specifically isn't about winning finals. It's not even about making finals. It's about playing that long game. You know, I reckon a long, long time ago, I had a bet with a Carlton supporting mate in the media about which side would win their next premiership first. And um, every so often, not as frequently now, but I I sort of catch up with him frequently and we mention it and I I sort of floated the possibility of calling it off now. And he he said, why? And I said, well, because surely that bet was made uh, when we we hadn't gone to decimal currency. We were still talking pounds and shillings. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I always—I must have—I always have a bit of a chuckle now because when I was uh, when I first first turned to legal drinking age, I had a had a, a bet with my uncles about Carlton finishing higher than Essendon, and so it was early on in the late two thousands when Carlton were finishing higher, and I was paying out slabs left and right, and then um, unfortunately <laughs> the, la- the last sort of ten years or so, when Essendon's probably had the wood on Carlton in the latter position, they the, the bet just stopped one year. They they said they took pity on me, so we stopped it. And I reckon if I'd kept it going, I'd probably in, end up in front at the moment. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you guys what what we've sort of discussed that finals might not be realistic, and, and there's a whole lot of other goals we'd have outside of making that what what's the thing that intrigues you the most this year what are you looking forward to the most going into this season i have to consider that for 18 clubs not just the one I've yeah. so it's a broader question from an Essendon perspective i just i think just to see the continuation of look you know the thing i enjoyed the most last year just with my supporter hat on the thing i enjoyed most last year we're seeing guys who look like they gave a toss, who look like they were playing for the coach, who look like they were all pulling in the one direction. You know, it looked like it mattered, and and you could see that out there. And I've got to be honest, you know, like, gee, for a long, long time, Essendon sides I've looked at and often felt, I don't reckon you guys are, I don't reckon it means as much to you as it does to players from other clubs. I understand why that happens. You know, the, the longer a side's sort of out down and out in the wilderness, the harder it is to know exactly what's required to get to that level. And, you know, the, the summit looks a longer way off. And I think it's easier for players now to become satisfied with just being an AFL player and drawing a pretty good wage and getting a bit of kudos and getting some chicks on Instagram and all this sort of <laughs> stuff, you know. But... I think last year, Essendon players again got a taste of, right, so here's what it's like to play inspired footy and get a bit excited about where we're headed and see a future that might actually be rosy. And I think that that sort of momentum can build really quickly. So that's what I'm looking forward to, just how far 
those sort of foundation steps last year can lead over the next couple of years. Oh, I think you raise a good point, Rowan, in that last year they looked like they cared. I mean, the year before, and it's been a big topic, it's always been a big topic on the social media for the Essendon fans. You know, Dyson, I think Dyson Heppel and David Myers, after a close loss to Sydney, were seen laughing, and there was a lot of outrage about it. Now, I don't necessarily buy in that because, okay, they had a bit of a smile after a game. That, that means they don't give a shit. I mean, they obviously still cared, but there was that little bit element of do they do they care enough that they're going to be able to drive themselves to that next level? And I think you're right. I think that's definitely something that was missing from the club and, and something we saw last year. But but for me, the most intriguing thing for me at the moment is, is going to be, and it's a bit of a cop-out, but it is going to be the youngsters again. So it's to see how, I mean, Archie Perkins in the uh, preseason looked like he's ready to take that next step. And he, he looked like he's ready to go. Nick Cox, he looked a little bit laconic at times in his movement, but I think that I think that's what we're going to have to be accept with him. It, it's a little bit like the old Paddy Ryder, where Paddy Ryder, a lot of people thought, oh, he just doesn't look like he cared, but he was trying. It's just the way he moves. He, he doesn't have that insane intensity that other players have. And then you've got someone like Caldwell who's coming back from injury. You've got Hobbs, who was the first round pick that many of us didn't think we were going to be able to get. You know, So the youngsters and seeing if they actually can move on from what they did last year and not just be satisfied with how they did. Because, I mean, Cox and, Cox and Perkins definitely came on last year and looked like they belonged at the level. But, you know, are they going to rest on their laurels or, or are they going to go to that next level? And the other one, of course, the big one in terms of youth is Sammy Draper. I mean, he looked last year like he could become a great ruckman, but there does become a point where we're looking like you have the potential isn't enough anymore. You need to start delivering that. So I'd be hoping that at least, you know, two or three times this year, Sammy Draper, maybe even against Geelong because their ruck stocks aren't great, but he really takes that midfield by the scruff of the neck and throws down a, a strong dominant ruck, ruck performance. I think for me, Jones, in terms of individuals, is the one who could be absolutely anything. He's just got it, Jones. And yeah. um, I really hope, you know, he's had his share of injuries already. I just hope he doesn't do an Aaron Francis, you know, because I just or, think... Or, uh, or I was going to say, or a Scott Gumbleton Mark too, because oh. I, 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 I still remember, Gum, I mean, Gumbleton is, is, will go down as one of the, the greatest what-ifs in the Eastern Football Club, I think. Well, yeah, I tell you, I mean, I'm obviously a, a lot older than you guys, but um, I was talking about Jordan Ridley to someone a few weeks ago, and I said, gee, he reminds me so much of Neil Danaher. Oh, yeah. And then I thought about it, and I thought, gee, I really hope that analogy doesn't extend to four knee reconstructions. But, um, you know, Jones, for me, just could be absolutely anything. Yeah. So, so Ridley had those injuries in his first year, but what I'm hearing is if Jordan Ridley goes down... Flood Rowan's Twitter. Get on Twitter and tell him now that it's entirely his fault if Jordan Ridley goes down. That wouldn't make it different to any other day, I'm afraid. I wouldn't be able to it. There's something about young key forwards being able to take contested marks. I can't remember who I was talking about. I think Jason Dunstall was talking about it. He goes, there's, like, when young skinny key forwards are able to take contested marks in packs, it's they generally work out all right because it, it shows timing, shows ability to judge the ball in the air, shows... You know, leading patterns are good. Like that's all stuff that is really hard to teach. You can build a guy's body up. And I think Jones is really interesting. Uh, I think for me, I'm really intrigued to see what the zag is in terms of, okay, what we did last year was pretty easily identifiable, winning from clearance and just trying to score as quickly as possible. Teams are going to go to work on that. What's our zag, to put it, as Bill Simmons would say? What, what's our, okay, that's not working. 
what are we going to do now? Because historically, you know, under Westworld, we sort of had one way to play. And if a good team could shut that down, we just had no answer to it. And you, you don't come up with a plan B thinking that plan A won't be good enough, but you come up with a plan B because, you know, clubs have full-time staff that just review how you play on a given week and work to shut it down and they work weeks in advance so as a coaching group what do they do from a coaching standpoint to to figure out the zag and you know are guys like Stuart and Laverty and Hind going to be able to back up the career best years they had last year well that's a big question was it you know there are plenty of guys that have had career best years and then not falling off the face of the earth but not being able to replicate it so what do, what does it look like for those guys um can peter wright kick 30 goals again or do people go okay well that guy kicked seven against the dogs we can't just leave him one out particularly because he's sort of our only option going forward at the moment well, a couple of things i'd say there i mean and no disrespect at all intended to James Stewart. But, you know, I, I thought he was okay last year, but I thought there were still plenty of moments even last year mm. when he left you with the heart in, in your mouth, you know. And there were plenty of moments where, you know, against, you know, really high-quality goal-kicking strong key forwards, he was seen to struggle. The back line, you know, was pretty good. And, and for a back line that appeared to be sort of cobbled together and uh, you know in the in the case of Stewart and Laverde probably more so out of desperation than anything you know it worked uh can that hold up and continue to develop that is a big if isn't it yeah you know the other one I keep pulling those out at inappropriate times I'm sorry but um, I've got to say, and again, no disrespect intended, but I reckon I'm not the only one who was quite, uh, let's say, surprised that Will Snelling finished third in the best and fairest. So, great. You know, look, he's clearly doing exactly what he's been instructed to do, and I think he's been a fantastic pickup for a guy, you know, picked up in a mid-season draft, et cetera, et cetera. I would say, though, you know, like if you're aspiring to premierships and whatever, you probably don't want Will Snelling finishing third in your best and fairest. Will Snelling finishing third last year, I still think was a misnomer because we debated on this podcast in our last episode for the last season and it actually, Will Snelling actually got more votes per game from the Essendon coaches than Darcy Parrish, which just blew my mind. I still don't understand how they saw Will Snelling as a better player over the year than Darcy Parrish, considering the year that Darcy had. No, well, well I, well, I can't answer it. <laughs> I can't yeah. answer it. it. It sort of shows the discrepancy in voting from, you know, sort of media awards and the Brownlow sort of things and on what does, coaches does. value, doesn't it? And my I, I think with Will Snelling that he plays a really important role as that sort of, I can't think of the equivalent in Richmond, but that guy that pushes up to the stoppage and really works his tail off between the forward 50 and the midfield. But he's our best small forward at the moment, which is probably a problem because he doesn't kick enough goals to be your number one small forward. Generally, that's your, you know, your tipper or your Dev Smith. But even Dev Smith, I think, the knees are catching up with him. But unfortunately, from what it looks like, you know, sitting in the cheap seats, of course, we all are. But I look at Dev Smith, he looks like he's lost a yard of pace. And if Tipper's not there, we're really relying on some real X factor from guys like Stringer and probably Perkins to kick goals outside of our tools, which, you know, have enough question marks to begin with, as we spoke about earlier. Yeah, I, look, personally, I think Smith's one of those guys that can push him to another level. I mean, I've been as critical of him as anyone, really. And I know he had that knee injury after that great first year. But, you know, he's he's looked at times a shadow of that player he was in that first season. So I really hope you're not right about the chronic knees. But if it's, if it's not that, uh, he needs to get a wriggle on, you know. So maybe we're sort of forgetting about the capability of, of someone like that. And, and Shields, the other one, you know, you sort of, you get to a point where you sort of give up 
expecting them to do what you hope they would do. But I mean, from all accounts, he's he's had a very good off season. In fact, I was speaking to someone who knows his family quite well, and um, he's very fired up and and really keen to I think show the world, not just Essendon, that he is the player they thought they were getting. You know, so those two, for example, can make a huge difference. But again, you know, it's all ifs and buts, isn't it? And you know, I've just put together a ladder over the last couple of days and written some season preview stuff and whatever. And uh, you know, geez, it's I mean, I don't want to devalue the contents of this fine podcast of course but there's a fair bit of speculation boys and a lot of it proves wrong i mean i did a i did a thing my first column for espn last year was i'm going so far as to say there are seven teams as many as seven teams that can win the premiership usually i think there's only about three or four last year i went out and i went and said there's seven do you reckon i had the eventual premier among those seven of course i did (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, well to, we are now starting to run short on time, lads. So we will. I will quickly, Rowan. I will just ask, and and you too, Grizz. But we'll start with Rowan. I want your best and fairest winner, your leading goal kicker, the rising star from Essendon for the year, and and where you think they'll finish on the ladder. You might have given me a bit of notice on this one. Um, <laughs> well, hang, bit off, off the, well, well, we'll go to Chris well, first, Rob. Well, we'll hang on, hang on. Just read them out again so I can write them down and think about them for at least 17 seconds. Best best and fairest. Yeah. Leading goal kicker. Yeah. Rising star and where yeah. they'll finish the ladder. Okay. All right. So, yeah, for me, I think I, I, it's hard to get bet against Zach Merritt, who consistently polls well. His preseason scenes have been fine. He hasn't lost a step. And I think if you're to set odds, he'd be the short price favourite, I think, probably every year for the next two or three years. My leading goal kicker, with Jonesy out for the first month, I'm probably going to go... It's really between Peter Wright and Jake Stringer. But I think Stringer's probably going to have to spend a bit more time in the midfield. So it's probably going to be Peter Wright by elimination. Although I don't expect that total to be overly high. Rising star, I think Archie Perkins, you touched on it before, that he's probably the, the most likely from the preseason. And my Has he played pre- few enough games? Who, Archie Perkins? Yeah. Well, we're, not, we're not necessarily the nab rising star, oh, okay. uh, Rowan. Right. Just, just, a, yeah. just the best first or second year player at Essendon, I suppose. Is yeah, so right. that improves the most. But if you want to go a rising star, then it's probably going to have to be Ben Hobbs. But um, uh, I think wind prediction ladder position, I have us, looking at it after all, I had us at nine wins, which generally is good for about 12th or 11th. So I'll go 12th for the over-under. All right. Yeah, mine wouldn't be all that different, really. I'm going to go with uh, Parrish for the best and fairest because I think the you know, the light, something clearly flicked on for him and it was an incredible season. And, uh, you know, I can, I can see him continuing to improve. Uh, Merritt, can Merritt get any better than he is? Maybe he can, but, you know, I'd... I'd be happy Jeez, with him. He'd be good. Yeah, he'd be yeah. Good he got better, wouldn't he? <laughs> I'd, um, oh. I'd, be ha- I'd be happy with him maintaining that level. Parrish, I think, can probably still get a bit better. So I'm going with Parrish yeah. for best and fairest. Going with Peter Wright for goals, um, similar to what you were saying. I think Stringer might have some more midfield time. And I think Wright, I think Wright's a real confidence player. And I reckon that's seven goals against the Bulldogs late last year. I reckon that might be a real turning point for his whole career. So... Him for uh, goal kicking, rising star. I mean, would Jones qualify in that category, or is he too experienced now? No, oh, I'll well, count it. I think yeah, I think we can write off his first year because he didn't play, so we'll we'll count it. All right, so I'll go with Jones. Just got to get on the park and uh, finish. Look, you know, I always feel guilty about leaving a finalist out of the next year's eight. Tough draw, but I reckon that you know, I reckon they're you know, it's quite possible Essendon could have a better season 
this year than last year and finish lower on the ladder. It happens, you know. So um, I'm going to tip him to finish ninth. Yeah, well, well, I, I've got down for the best of Ferris. I'm going to go completely different to you guys. I'm going to say Kyle Langford. I think Kyle Langford's been a pretty good player the last couple of years. And then I, I think he was building in confidence last year. I think we started to see the player that we all sort of hoped Kyle could be in that, that hybrid midfield forward type role so I think this year he could really take the, the game by the scruff of the neck and also I have to go a bit different because you've both rattled off the two favourites in, in Merritt and Parrish um, I'm not going to go different with the goal kicker though Yeah, Peter Wright does seem to be the consensus pick Harry Jones, it depends on how much he misses if he only misses the first say three games he could very well chase him down you know, towards the end of the year but it just, it just comes down to how many games he actually plays. Our best young player I'm, I'm going to say Jai Caldwell I know he's been in the system a while now, but it's only his second year at Essendon. He's still pretty young, so I'm going to claim it as he's, he can still be considered our rising star for the year. And, and I, I think we're going to see exactly why GWS um, played funny buggers at the trade table when, I, I say low ball, but for what he had delivered, it was probably a fair trade offer, but they obviously were demanding a lot more than what, what Essendon gave up then, and I think he'll show us this year why that was the case. And, and I think for a ladder position, yeah, I'm probably in the middle of where you guys were sitting in that, that 9 to 12 range. And I, I think what you've said, Rowan, is, is an excellent point. Essendon, I think, can definitely have a better season this year and still miss the eight. There's, there's definitely going to be times where they show a lot more improvement than last year, but but may come up short. And, and so I do think that that 10th to 11th spot's probably where Essendon's realistically going to sit this year. I'd love to say they'll come out and smash it and everything will click and Peter Wright will kick 50 goals and turn into the superstar and Harry Jones will come back and kick 40 and we'll, we'll finish top four. But I, I just, just don't think we've got all the pieces in the right spots yet. Are most fan-based podcasts as pessimistic as this one? Or? <laughs> no. I, I, no. I, prefer the, I prefer the term realistic. Yeah. Um, no, no, you, 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 you're talking my language. This, this is me. Yeah. I mean, as I say to people, I'm not a glass half empty person. My glass never actually had anything in it to begin with. So <laughs> um, you're talking my language. And, and but, I also operate on that premise, you know, expect to be disappointed. And then the only thing that can happen is you're pleasantly surprised. You know? Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily pessimistic about this year. I just think you can't have as many question marks as we do and, you know, expect it for it all to work out, make the finals. Like it's possible, but I don't think it's likely. What I'm optimistic about is, you know, 2023, four, five, where I think, you know, provided we, get the development right. We can pick up a few more talented guys along the way. You know, that rise could be exponential. I mean, you look at Richmond and, and Melbourne both missed the finals the year before they won premiership. I'm not saying that's going to be us in two or three <laughs> years' time. But, um, but like, yeah. the development's never linear. And I didn't talk about this before, and it's probably not enough time to do it now, but if you look at Richmond and Melbourne, they all made the finals, dropped out, and then came out of nowhere. And that development wasn't just this steady climb. And so that shouldn't be the expectation, but not enough podcasts to keep going into that. No, it, it answers to your question, Rowan. Oh, I did I did listen to another podcast, Est- fan-based podcast the other day and they had us finishing in the top four so I think there's quite a few positive <laughs> positive Essendon fans out there I think you've you've managed to stumble onto the podcast that, that's probably you've got a, a healthy dose of uh, pessimism as, as you said it comes with age yeah. Well, that does do us for this evening, fellas. Um, so everybody listening, as always, if you could please like, subscribe, and of course, review, because that will do us the fabulous work. And, and thank you very much, Rowan, for, for coming on. Thank you for finding the, the time for us. Um, and you're, you're now off, off to record your, uh, your podcast for, for the week, or one of I'm your indeed. podcasts for the week. Can you want to give us a plug, Rowan? I'll give you a quick plug. Uh, Footyology podcast now in its uh, sixth year. 
no, seventh year, actually. And um, we've actually had a change in personnel. Mark Fine, uh, my longtime sparring partner, he is, uh, he's actually bought a delicatessen and has his hands more than full running that. So um, we've got a fantastic replacement, actually, in Robert Shaw, a name that obviously uh, rings a familiar bell for Essendon fans. So um, wrapped with Shorey coming aboard, uh, it'll be quality analysis. And twice a week, we do a preview show and a review show, Wednesdays and Sunday evenings. So get on board that. Footyology uh, available at all good podcast platforms and on the Footyology <laughs> website, footyology.com.au. Don't forget to become a Footyology patron through Patreon. Is that good enough? That was great. 